Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Dwayne Adams of Dwayne Adams Hunting. Dwayne, the last time we talked, well, before that, Dwayne, how you doing? I'm doing really good, Jay. It's always good to hear your voice. Uh, I'm doing really good. Thank God. Right on. Uh, the last time we talked, Dwayne, uh, you were headed up, I believe, the next day for the Kayabab. Um, and I'm just curious how those hunts went up there this year compared to other years. Well, they went very well, and uh, first I'd like to thank you. Two of the clients that I picked up on the early hunt were off your podcast. One was from Arkansas, and one was from Bend, Oregon, and uh, they'd never heard of my name until they started listening to you, and they follow you, re- uh, re- really impressed with what, you, what you're doing. To, uh, they, they both told me that. And both well, of them awesome. killed really, really nice bucks. So it worked out good. They both killed bucks in the 180s on the early season. So uh, I, I told them that I was going to tell you thank you because uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have got those guys without, without your effort. Well, I'm glad they had a great hunt. Um, those deer on the early hunt, uh, I believe they were kind of in transition. I'm curious to see how those late hunts went. Did you guys have any weather? What was the rutting conditions? You know, and overall, I know it's a lot of questions in one. Overall, what was, you know, compared to other years, was it average, better than average, below average? You know, let's talk about that. Well, the, fir- the early hunt was very tough. And, and why it was, there was no acorns, so the deer went plumb through the acorns but most of them jay hung up up in the burn and and they wouldn't come back down and after a a little bit of pressure up there those deer are gone they just won't come out and so we had to start going to hole after hole that you can't glass very good it's just like one little cut and one canyon you know they're going to be there and that's how we started plucking the deer out was was doing doing that kind of stuff but we really started doing well about tuesday Wednesday, Thursday on on the on the early season, and by Friday we'd we'd killed all the deer out. But uh, they were scattered, Jay, from the from the highway all the way to jump up, and that's that makes it tough because when they're yeah. scattered at that distance, there, it, there's no no amount of deer any place, and there's not a lot of deer, uh, big bucks anywhere. They're just you just got to keep trying to pick them out and pick them out. So. I would call it a below average year for for the early hunt, uh, to be very okay. honest with you. It was very difficult because when those deer stay in those oaks, you got a chance to see them, but, man, it, it was tough. So then as it transitioned or as they keep moving with the season dates of the late hunt on the west and east side, I'm betting you're going to tell me that a bunch of the deer had moved, uh, but I don't know that, and then... Talk a little bit about, you know, where were the deer on the late hunt? Had they all moved down? Was it a full migration, or was the weather such that, you know, they were still spread out? No, it's exactly what you said. Uh, We were scared to death that they were going to still be up on top, but we went up there and scouted for uh, one day and never seen a deer. And uh, I told Rick Weiler, I said, look, Ricky, we got to get out of here, and we got to move. And he he said, I agree. I said, they're not here. And so we we dropped down to uh, some of the oak places and looked there, and there was no deer there either, so they weren't hung up there, and they they just kept on going. So we dropped on down, and and they were down. They were all down from all all of the winter ranges, and they were down there by the hundreds. Thank God. So... 
So did that make for a great hunt, or did it, it jam everybody on top of everybody? No, it makes for a great hunt. There's only 100 tags, Jay, and and uh, unless you've been up there a long time, there's so many holes you don't have a clue to go look at. I mean, uh, it, ironically, I've been there for almost 40 years this year, and we find a new hole almost every year that we didn't know about. I mean, just because of one thing led to another, we walked over an extra ridge, and we found a different place, and yak, 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 and thank God. So, But we we killed two bucks over 200 inches, and, and the other deer were all in the 180s and the 190s. So we killed, we killed six bucks uh, on the late hunt, and it worked out very well. Uh, we had one gentleman, uh, a gentleman from North Dakota, that truly wanted a, a 200-inch deer, and he let 150 bucks go. And when it was oh, all man. over with, Jay, there was me and five other guides that were helping this gentleman, and we, we, we split up in three different trucks, and, and we hunted him for three days, and we finally got it done on, the, on, the, on Friday, the, uh, the day before the snow got crazy there. So... From a rutting standpoint and bucks chasing does, I mean, was it full tilt rutting or was it just kind of bucks, you know, checking does or was it wide open? Wide open. It was as good a rut as uh, as we've probably seen in, in 10 years. Uh, I, I can't tell you the deer that just almost run over us, just sitting there glassing and, and it was just oblivious to anything that we were doing. They were, uh, one morning I glassed 40 bucks. From one position, and they were there was deer everywhere. Uh, eight or ten bucks on on the does fighting. It was a full blown uh, fist. I mean, they were. It was crazy. It was it was as good as I've seen it in a long time. Thank God. What deer hunters dream of, right? That's exactly right. And I, I, I'll tell you, every all the guides and myself, we we really enjoyed it. Everybody got to see a two hundred inch plus deer. All the guides. That got to you know get to see it, and you know that that's a big deer anywhere. I, anytime you see a deer like that, or you see a one twenty coos deer, that's big anywhere. Yeah, for sure. So, with that being said, we talked about trend of the Kayabab before, and last time you said you think it's trending up. As good a year as you had there on the late hunt, do you feel at, at all that maybe some of the better bucks got shot and it you know it might lull for a year or two, or do you still think that it will continue in an upward trend? Well, it's interesting you say that. We chased one of the biggest deer we've seen, and, and since Dana Yout uh, guided for me for years until he passed away, and he killed a buck that netted 221, typical, that, that we killed. And at the time, it was the number three in the world. And we seen a buck of that caliber not far from where Dana killed that deer, and we chased him for two days and seen him twice. And we, all of us, thought that he was between 218 and and 220. It's just a straight, heavy four-point with ungodly deep forks, massive, and he's in basically, like I said, in the same zone that we killed that other deer. Dana did, and so. I mean, that's a great hope. And then I talked to another gentleman that he, and I didn't see the other deer, but he, he swore it was an ungodly 250 deer, points everywhere. And I went down to look for that deer, and I never did see him. Two guys, two, Rick and John Wilder went with me, and we went down there to look for it. But we never did see him. But he swore it was down there, and I believe him, but it's in that sea of cedars. You know, that's the way it is. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, we've got hope for next year and excitement for next year coming off such a, another great year, and it's awesome to hear that the Kayabab is, is uh, I don't want to say back, but it, 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 it sounds like it is beyond back and, and, you know, one of the best hunts in the state of Arizona for mule deer. I think that's right, yes. Okay, awesome. Uh, what I really want to talk to you about the most today is we are sitting here at December 19th. The December rifle tags across the state have already started, and the guys are about a week into it or so, five days a week into it. And we've got Christmas coming up, and, you know, you always hear that, you know, between Christmas and New Year's is the best time period for that hunt, year in and year out. Um, before we get into all of that, I would ask you, what are you hearing out there as far as rutting activity? Um, I've heard some guys telling me that uh, they're seeing quite a few small bucks kind of nosing and chasing does, checking does, uh, which is pretty common for now. And I actually have heard of one guy shot a buck in central Arizona that was a 107-inch buck that was really nosing a doe pretty good a couple days ago. So um, what are you hearing out there? I'm hearing the exact same thing that you just said right there. Uh, a lot of the younger bucks are chasing, and and I know a friend that, that it's on a big deer right now, and, and it's, it's in higher elevation, and it's real thick where this deer is, and he said it was on a doe, following the doe, but it got into the, the thicker elevation. And when I say that, I'm talking 8,000 feet. It's, it's up high. And so right. those tendency to and have to rut earlier than they do in the, in the lower lands. So we talk about, Dwayne, we talk about, you know, northern Arizona coos and then central Arizona and then southern Arizona, and we typically say that the deer in, you know, more northern Arizona, but what you're trying to make a point of, too, is some of these southern Arizona units, actually a lot of them, have some, you know, six, seven, eight thousand feet elevation zones. Do you feel like that, you know, that's much like some of the north and central deer where they'll really get going first? You're you're saying that these these deer in these higher elevations, even in the skylands down in the southern Arizona, they'll get going first as well. I think so. I've always noticed that, you know, the 23, the 27, 21 up there that's in that elk country. Those deer, 6A, they tend to see the rut a week or two earlier than than, I, than they do down south. And I think that's the same way in 33. This friend of mine is in 33, and he's hunting at 8,000 feet. So yeah. that, 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 that tells you a lot, you know. But in the lower elevation, they're, they're not running, a, you know, any kind of seriousness yet. Jay, I, I've got a client after, after Christmas, and I always bring those guys in, always the day after Christmas, and to the hope that we'll have a chance for a big buck to, to to get in gear, and I and that's one of my selling points is is uh, if we want to try to kill a big deer, let's don't hunt to the last five or six days. Yeah, and I'm looking at the weather right now, and it appears that uh, you know, like Christmas, the day after Christmas, um, and you know, the the next the the few days after Christmas, it's supposed to be like high of 57 in Phoenix. So, I mean, that's going to be up there in some of those 33s and 32s and some of those units. I mean, it, it's going to be nice and crisp and cold. I would venture to guess that the conditions might just be absolutely perfect to see quite a bit of, of 
bucks chasing and, and actually going to drag probably some of those more mature bucks out. Um, curious your thoughts on that. Oh, that's exactly right. You know, those deer survive up there in those, in those thick trees and canopies that run for miles that's unhuntable. And that's why they're, they're gigantic, but nature sucks them out. And it sucks them out to chase, you know, dogos and estrus, and here, here they come. They, they'll, they'll give their life up to, to breed. So it's, it's simple as that. So, but the problem with those places is that there are not a lot of glassing. It's, it's, most coosier guys like to get up at a place and glass five miles and look at all. That's not the case. When you get in those areas, you might be looking at 100 yards or 200 yards in a little opening that, and I've got some of those places that I've killed big bucks in, but it takes a special hunter, Jay, honest to God, because when I tell clients, I said, look, we're going to look at this place over. If it's no good, after about two hours, we're leaving. And, and it's hard for them to understand that, but if you don't find those deer early, and if you do, then the only thing I'm praying is they're going to come back out in the evening because there's no other way to hunt them. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, right now, uh, you know, pre-rut, you know, a few mature bucks starting to check does, but a lot of smaller bucks checking does. But then over the next few days leading into actually, you know, Christmas Day, um, one thing I've seen a lot is you get those bucks, just you'll glass a buck and he'll just have his nose down. He won't be with does, but he'll just be walking. And it, it's oftentimes very, very hard to handle because you'll literally watch him. He'll go up, go over a ridge. You'll keep glassing. You won't be able to see him. And 15 minutes later, you'll pick him coming back up the next ridge with the nose to the ground and go right up over. What do you do about deer that are just on a walk, Dwayne? There's not much to do with those, Jay. I've chased them all my <laughs> life. And I, and I tell people, if you, gotta, if you see a deer doing that, and, and what happens is that gland in the, in, in, the, in the back of a doe's leg, it drips down into her hoof. That's what it does. And when she's walking, she's leaving that scent. And that's why he's dropping his head, and he's, trying to, he's following a doe that's in heat. That's, that's exactly what he's doing. So wherever that doe is, that's where that buck's going to go. Well, the problem with that, that might be five miles. Literally. Right. So I tell right. guys, if you see a deer like that and you want to kill him, you better move now because there's no telling where he's going to be. And I, I've chased many Boone and Crockett bucks that got away by me not moving fast enough. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, I tell guys, like, you you got to get them right then. Like, get, you know, you if you see a buck doing that, you have to almost leapfrog him and get him killed or else you may never see him again. That's right. I've, 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 and I, you know, now the experience I got now. If I see a, a world class buck and he's doing that, man, I, I'm trying to cut him off and get a canyon or two ahead of him, and, and I mean literally 90 miles an hour, and then hopefully he come in that direction. But I have found that they literally, if you got that angle right, you can get over there and get a, and glass a little bit more and have a better chance instead of waiting and, and, and think he's going to do this or do that. He's not going to do that. He's going to a doe. That's where he's going. Yeah, and for whatever reason, you know, if, if he does lay down, he's not probably going to lay down for very long, and he's probably going to get right back up, lay for just a little bit, get right back up and keep trailing. Um, but when you do, uh, and, and jump in any, any time, but when they do lay down, 
you got to move whenever you can, you know, you've got to strike while the iron's hot or else those deer are going to, those bucks will get away. It's that simple. I, and I've, I've done it a hundred times and, and screwed it up 90% of the time until I figured <laughs> out of, of, well, I did. And, and I'm kind of like you. I'd sit back and then I'd say, okay, he's going to be right there. And then next thing you know, I watch him watching. He's two miles from me going 90 and I never see him again. So once I see that they're on, uh, that dropping their head and going, I move in and I, and, and I try to be aggressive and, and I'm, and I'm killing more deer doing that on those big deer than sitting back and waiting. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we've talked about deer that are on the walk. Um, now let's talk a little bit about um, you're in a good spot. You've got good vantage. You're noticing some young bucks here and there, maybe several different groups, young bucks, you know, pushing, chasing does. Um, a lot of guys ask me, okay, what do you do? Do you stay right there and just keep watching, keep watching, because you figure a big buck's going to show up? Or, you know, do you come back in a couple days? You know, how long do you give it to come back and check those does? Or do you stay right there and just keep waiting because you figure, you know, a big buck's going to pop out? No, Jay, I don't wait. And, and, and I don't think you wait. Uh, I, if, 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 I, t I tell people in the glassing lessons, and I tell people that, that are binoculars don't lie. And what I mean by that is when you set guys out like me and you and the guys that you are acquainted with and myself, you've seen about 95% of the deer there. And they don't yeah. lie. It's pretty simple. So you can sit there and try to make the bucks bigger than they are or get out of there. And that's what I usually do. I, if, if we've glassed that, then we move to another position. Now, I will come back in two days. That That's a given because by that time – that the, the estrus has walked around. It's kind of like the buck Roman. Overnight, there could be a big buck come in there. Now, if you see, let's just say I see uh, three or four does that's being chased by younger bucks, I'll come back. I'll come back in a couple of days because there's probably going to be a bigger buck that they're chasing then. Yeah. Um, talk about, you know, the, the hard part of, of you know, we we talk so much about coos deer hunting. We talk about these bucks and, and deer being habitual, and, you know, they stay pretty much within a five, six, eight hundred 800-yard circle their whole life until the rut hits, and then the bucks, you know, move off the charts. Um, talk about if, you know, you had a buck spotted, say, a week or, or two ago. Maybe you saw him opening weekend, and now, you, you know, you're back at work, and, you know, here and, you know, this weekend you're going to head back out. Do you go back and check where that buck is, or or do you try and figure out which way he's going to be going, or what you know what his path is? How do you mentally like? What's your thought process on a buck that maybe you saw scouting, maybe even in October or November? Do you just grind away trying to find him, or do you grind away for a day or two and then just keep moving out on the perimeter trying to find where he went? Oh, I tell you, Jay, I've done that and and it's never worked for me. Uh, Generally, where those kind of bucks are that you're talking about that I'm chasing and you're chasing, there's very few does there. Uh, it's generally a, a buck, a bachelor group of bucks has found a hole, and, and there's probably a lot of times there's no does there. And the closer that thing gets to the rut, they're going to be gone. And so the, the next key is, is where are the does? That's, that's what I want to know. Where, where are the does going to be? Because they're going to come to those does. 
And that's probably more important than anything else is knowing where 8 or 10 or 25 does are because now you've got a chance to look around and, and, and see them. But I don't go back to those. The places that I hunt in October and November the early hunts, they're worthless right now. Right. And you talk about where are the does, and we've talked about moving country. I think it's important to note that, um, you know, we go from being so meticulous in our glassing most of the time. I find myself during the rut spending, uh, being a lot quicker. I, I'm, I'm panning a lot more. I'm looking for deer just on the move, uh, and I'm not just sitting in one spot for six hours or 12 hours or the whole day. I might check four or five different spots, get up on four or five different knobs throughout the day, just trying to find that one group of does that might be hot and have a big buck with them. Talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a mindset change when you're hunting these, you know, December hunts and then even into the, you know, uh, January archery season as well. Well, what you said is exactly what, most of us used to do when we could get, they had a lot of tags that were late in December, uh, and, and that used to be a norm. Now that's not. Now it's 10 years to get that tag for most people, and so most people don't know how to hunt those big deer, to be very honest with you. I, not only do I move, when you say five places, I might go to 10. I, yeah. I, I mean, literally, we're, we're hitting and missing, and we're, we're not walking into crazy places like we do on the early hunts. We don't do that because those deer are coming out of those places down to, down to where the deer are, down where the does are at. And that could be in the flats. It could be in the Okatia ridges. It can, it can be a million places, but that's where we're going. We're, we're looking for numbers now a lot more than I'm looking for deer. You, you've talked about on the podcast before, um, kind of the worst place to look for a big deer is in the middle. Um, you talk about a, the best place to find a big deer is up high or down low. Um, speaking specifically about these um, December rut hunts uh, and even moving into January archery rut, rut hunting, um, those pockets that are down low, um, do they become more intriguing to you as, as the season moves, you know, later in December? I'm in the middle, Jay. It, it's a, I'm glad you asked that because that's, that's where generally all the deer are, does Why? That's where about 60%, 70% of the does are in that middle zone. And those big deer will come out of the flats or out of the top of the mountains and come to where those does are. There's some of the places we hunt down south that it's just miles and miles, and it's hard to see those deer down there. But they'll come out of that fringes and come into those those little rolling hills that most people don't look at, and there's monster bucks that's killed like that that, that uh, most people drive right by. Would you say from a from a vegetation standpoint, specifically talking about these rut situations, I mean, is there any one piece of vegetation that you say, if I had to live and die in this, this piece of vegetation for the whole hunt, I'm going to live and die in X, what would it be? Yeah, there's two of them. There's, there's not one. Okay. A barrel cactus and, and, and Okatia. Okay. A barrel Why? cactus, well, the barrel cactus, it, it, that's, when I give glassing lessons and, and teach people how to, to, to hunt, that's the number one 
indicator that there's deer there or not. And I, and, I t- and I explain to people, if you drive down a road and you see a bunch of barrel cactus tops and the yellows aren't eight, there's zero deer there. And they say, why, Mr. Adams? I said, because that is, they love those barrel cactus tops. And I said, I, I can't tell you how many thousands of deer I've glass plucking those things off. So when you see a, a ridge and you glass that thing, scouting it, and there's full of barrel cactus, there's no deer it's, I mean, it's that simple. So when I start looking for places, and I, and I do it all the time, I, I tell my son-in-law, Nick, I said, Nick DeBacca, I said, look at there, Nicky. He said, look, it, every barrel cactus is gone. It's cleaned off. Now, what most people don't realize, they just now started dropping the fruit, you know, get turning r- r- ripe about the first week of December through the end of January. So it's right in the rut is where that barrel cactus is. And mule deer, desert mule deer are the same thing. They love them just as much. So the Okatia and, and the barrel cactus, if you got you got those barrel cactuses, the deer have a tendency to move more because they, they eat a pl- one off, and then they'll move to another one that's ripe, and they'll move to another one that's ripe, so they move a lot. And that's, that, that's a dead giveaway for chasing big deer. Okay, and then Okatia? Okatia to me is a hard thing for most people to see into. A glasser like you and I and, and the guys that work with me, it's very easy. But for most people, you, you have to develop your eye to look through those Okatias, and and that's really a struggle for me with clients because I'll say, oh, there, there's not a green tree or a brown bush. It's just Okatia ridges. So it's hard for me to, to get those guys on that gun. They'll look at their scope and they say, I don't see the deer. And they get back in the binoculars. And we, this goes on for hours sometimes. <laughs> and then yeah. finally they say, I do see it. But a lot, Jay, I can't tell you how many deer we've walked away from in my career that uh, they, the hunter's never seen it in the Okatias. Let's talk a little bit about the Ocotillo. One of the things that I think they like so much about the Ocotillo is they feel safe in Ocotillo, and they, I've never quite figured out why they feel so safe, because if you're in the right spot, you can really see into it, but if it's a real thick sea of Ocotillo, sometimes they can be standing in the wide open and you can't see them, but they, they actually... I've seen them go into Ocotillo and they like they know I'm there, and they go into Ocotillo and they kind of calm down because they feel like they're hiding. Well, I, I I don't really know why, but I I got lots of theories. One one of the theories I think it is, and and I is that predators have a hard time in a, in that Ocotillo. Because they can't get through it, they can't. Well, and it. I watched a coyote chase one one time. And that's how I seen it. And when they get them in an open hillside, a coyote can go 90 miles an hour, and then the deer's got a dart. But he can't go 90 miles an hour in that Okatia. And he chased that deer for about 30 yards, and it was, it was dipping and darting and dipping and darting. That deer would run off and left him. And that, I, I realized right then, that I think is one of the reasons that, that they feel safe in there, that, that uh, it's a little harder for predators to get after them. Interesting. Um, Dwayne, I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. Cody Nelson, my friend of over 20 years, I call him the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com at the gear shop. 
If you guys have any binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, rifle scopes, anything to do with glassing, you can give Cody a call at 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or email him at optics at gohunt.com. Now, he's promised me that he'll take care of all of the J. Scott Outdoors listeners. So when you call him, make sure to mention me and uh, tell him he better dang sure take care of you or else he's going to have to deal with me, and you tell him exactly that, and he'll laugh. I uh, also want to thank Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting Gear. Uh, that's the gear that I wear. Uh, sleeping bags, tents, backpacks, uh, all the clothing. Go to Kuyu.com. Check them out. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. CanyonCoolers.com. Use the J. Scott promo code. You get a 10% discount. That's a local company based out of Flagstaff, Arizona. Use the J. Scott promo code for 10%. Phonescope.com. Uh, all of the, the uh, videos uh, that I take on Instagram of, of you know, all the different animals are through the phone scope. If you use the J. Scott 18 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com, use the J. Scott 18 promo code to get a 20% discount off all orders at onxmaps.com. One thing I want to point out to any of you guys going to Mexico, I've recently been down there scouting and uh, I've used my Onyx maps. I, I, I do a lot of my work on Google Earth. I save those waypoints and those uh, paths and roads and such in a file. I save that to my computer, and then I download it straight onto my Onyx map on the desktop, and then I turn my app on the phone, and it automatically uh, goes on my phone. Uh, now, the Topo does not work in Mexico, but the Aerial does. Um, and it's awesome. You can zoom in, and then you need to go on your offline maps because there's no uh, service down there in most places. Save your offline maps, and it's it's, it's awesome. It's you have a full-blown aerial that you can zoom in high resolution. So Onyx Maps, use the JSCOT18 promo code. Okay, Dwayne, now as we get, let's talk about you're getting into Christmas, and you've got the five days between Christmas and New Year. So, I mean, you're pretty much going out. You're expecting deer to be chasing does. Walk me through a little bit of, um, you know, your strategy, say, in the last five days and how you handle those hunts. Because, I mean, you don't have a ton of time, but you know that every day that it gets better and better and better. So, how, you know, how do you work with your clients saying, hey, we might, you know, the first couple of days might be a little slow, but every day that goes by is, should be better and better and better. Well, I really do just exactly as you said, and I tell, tell them exactly that. Every 24 hours, this hunt changes. And so it, it, I go back to the same thing that we talked about earlier is I move a lot instead of setting glass one canyon. So like I said, we could move five, six, seven, eight times in, in a morning in a different places. And then in the evening, I can, it can't do it as much because the sun's going down. I might move a couple times in the evening because it's, it's just common sense. You know, you, you're going to run out of run out of visibility. But I do a lot of moving until we find what we want to see, and and it and it's that simple. So, and every day it gets better, and hopefully that you you, you can find a a, a a gigantic buck uh, before the for New Year's, and then if we don't, and we find it. 
uh, at last few days, and I come back in there with an archer, and, and we try to chase them in January with a bow. Over the years, over the last 40 years, have you killed quite a few deer, say, in the last two days of the season? Oh, that, I would say probably the majority of them. Um, okay. Uh, uh, on the December hunt, yes, majority, because uh, for one reason or another, we didn't get, kill it because we, it may have smelt or somebody bumped it or whatever, and I know it's in that area, and I know that 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 hot stove's there, and so you bet, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the last buck I killed it, it was in that area that you're talking about, scored 121, and we we chased that deer for four days, and every day he got dumber. And he made bigger <laughs> mistakes every day. He he. And the last day that we that we that we got to hunt him, uh, he made a fatal mistake. He wouldn't leave the doe. Then the, the client missed him four times, and, and he just stood there. And, uh, wow. and you know that's that's not going to happen uh, unless it's the rut. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's talk a little bit now. Let's transition. Um, you know, December thirty first has come and gone. January 1st, that's a brand new year, and now everybody's archery tag, uh, anyone that had killed the deer in, in, let's say, 2018, now it's going to be 2019, they're, they're ready to go. Um, when you look at the, and let's talk about, you know, over-the-counter January archery deer, you know, pretty much the whole, whole month, January, you know, 31 days, um, or 30 days. Uh, how many days in January? 30? It doesn't matter. The whole month of January. Uh, you've got a situation where people can, you know, literally come and buy a tag over the counter and go hunting. In your experience over 40 years, what is the best, say, two weeks? The first two weeks, the last two weeks, or the middle two weeks? Well, Jake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that to you, and I'll tell you... I tell guys if they want to kill a monster to start on the 15th. January? Yep, and I'll tell you why. Okay. By that time, those world beaters have come out of the woodwork, and they're wore out now. They've chased those, and their guard starts to get down. Uh, I was fortunate enough this year that I I got the the governor tag uh, client uh, on the lottery. And he the said raffle, the raffle the, tag. Correct on the raffle tag, yeah. and he told me he did not want uh, a velvet buck. And I said, well, then the only time we're going to start hunting is, will be the he'll be here the ninth, and we'll start hunting the tenth of January. And the reason being, I brought him in like that, is it gives those bucks a, a little bit of time to get wore out chasing the does, the big bucks, and every day. It gets better and better and better. And I found that we've killed some of those gigantic bucks between the 18th and the 20th, and and they make mistakes then because they're tired, and and they're not as knowledgeable about people being there, and they're not they're, they're not as worried about uh, truck. They're more worried about breeding. And so, especially with the bow, you better have everything in, in on your favor because uh, if if they got any kind of of, of their scruples left, they'll leave if they if you see them. So let me let me repose the question to you then. If you had to pick, if you had to pick a seven day window, a seven day window that you would say this is when 
hunting or not hunting, if you were just going to go out and look for coos deer in January, what is the best seven-day window to see the biggest buck? I think the 15th on, and that's so seven days. The 23rd? Yep, I think that's 20, the best. 22nd? Yeah, and, and another thing that happens, that, and I know you know this, is that a lot of the does get bred in that cycle, but a lot of deer don't get bred. And once that 24 hours is over with of their estrus, well, they'll, they'll, those other deer will start coming back in. And so you, you start having a lot of bucks around a doe instead of just one buck chasing them. It's not uncommon. I've seen five or six or ten bucks around one doe at the latter part of January. And, and I tell you, that's when I've seen some of the most ungodly bucks, uh, what you, we would call, you know, uh, just 100-inch deer could, could be a satellite deer on, on <laughs> some of these, these other deer. When you know, there could be two or three Boone and Crockett bucks. I've seen that, and a couple hundred-inch deer are just the satellites. And so and that doesn't happen till the end is what I found. So... You're hunting with a bow. You're hunting mid-January. From a tactical standpoint, I get a lot of questions, guys wanting to know, you know, do you sit and watch these deer? Do you try and pattern them? Do you see these deer and do you go after them right away? How aggressive do you get? Talk a little bit about, you know, 40 years of experience of trying to, you know, be successful with a bow, or do you sit water? What, what, walk through that. I'm not sitting any water. That hadn't done very good for me in January. Most of it's froze anyway. Uh, and I'm not done very well at setting water. I've done well in August setting water, but not in January. But I, I'll tell you, everything that you mentioned I'm doing, it depends on the deer. It depends on what he's doing. And, and if he's on one doe and he lays down, then we go 90 miles an hour after him fast and try to get close. And then even if he can't see that deer, we try to get it within shooting range so that we, when he gets up, we have a chance. And we've killed a lot of deer doing that, Jay. I, I, try, to be, I try to be very aggressive. And I've done the passive stuff in, the bat, in, the la, in the, a lot of my life, and it never works out. But I found if I'm aggressive and get in close and, you know, and, uh, within an archery range, then just stand there. And I'll tell the client, just stand there. He's there. He, do you see this? Yeah. Then he sta he's there. And I had a guy last year, for example, that he couldn't see the deer. And he lost what I would call that edge. He couldn't see the deer. It was a mesquite tree. And when the deer stood up, it kind of scared him. And he shot over the deer's buck back at 50 yards, and it ran off. And then so when he got up there, I asked him, I said, what happened? He said, he startled me. I said, well, how could it startle you? I said, I told you 50 times you spied that mesquite tree. He hadn't got up. Yeah. And he said. So what you're saying is expect it. You know, you know it's there. If you're, you're talking if you've got a spotter, and your spotter's saying the yes. buck by the mesquite tree. To be ready, to be expecting, and to be on go, and don't don't let your mind wander is what you're saying. It took him a day or two before he admitted it to me. To tell you the yeah. truth, he said, "He said, you know what happened there, Dwayne?" I said, "No." I said, "What happened?" He said, "I didn't think it was there." I said, well, "Why would I tell you it was there?" He said, "I know, Dwayne." He said, "I just I just figured it was 
there, and he said, I looked yeah. down at the ground, and then I told him, I said, he's, he's standing up. He stood up. Well, then by he pulled the ball back, he did everything too fast, Jay. That's what he did. He shot yeah. over him. And I, so, but long story short, he killed a nice deer with me. You know, it's like anything else. You, you, do, you develop confidence in people, and when they tell you something, they, they, they know that you're telling the truth. And, and if you hadn't hunted with somebody a long time, it's hard to develop that, that next step. And some of those little small things is what makes, it, is what makes a guy a killer. Yeah, for sure. We've talked a little bit about this. I've talked about it with some other guys, too, on the podcast. Is, you know, talking about your hunting buddies and who you roll with, um, if, if you don't have utmost confidence in the guy that's watching the deer for you, then you probably need to find someone else to watch the deer for you. Um, you need to know that if someone says, I got the deer, he's bedded, you're in good position, you need to just be ready. I mean, you need to be ready, and when the guy says the deer is standing up and you still can't see the deer, that doesn't mean your head bobbing around and you're trying to, like, you have to have confidence that your your eyes in the sky can see it, and you need to act accordingly, and you need to not be bobbing around trying to see it just so you get your eyes on it. If he says, okay, he's just feeding, okay, now he's taking a couple steps toward you, and now all of a sudden you see it, but if you're bouncing all over and moving around trying to get your eyes on it, that's not doing any good. If someone's talking in your ear and you've got an earpiece using a radio, you need to trust that person that's watching the deer for you. Jay, if you remember one of the first things, when we, I did a podcast with, I told you about my boy, he, he lost a deer, yeah. and I come back yeah. and snapped his butt. But yeah. the, the, the difference is, is that not only is that the truth, that's an absolute truth, and, and, and but I think he developed that and, and there's a lot of good outfitters out there besides myself that develop that with clients that they trust when somebody tells them something. And it's not only being paid. It, it, they can pay you all you want, Jay. You, they've got to they got to believe what you're telling them. And once they believe you, then they'll jump off a cliff with you to to chase big stuff because they know that you're you're honest and you're trying to do your best. And but but yeah. you are right. That the last thing I do is and, and I tell them when you stand there. Do not be moving your head. And I tell them on the radio, I said, don't move, don't move. You're moving your head too much. I'll tell them, and, and yeah. they'll stop. I'll tell you another thing, Jay, is that once you learn to, for them to, that communication back and forth, you, you become a killer. I, I had one oh, guy kill five, five deer five years in a row with me. And that's exactly, he, when I told him, he stood there one time for two hours. I said, he's right in front of you, Don. Don't move. And he said, okay. And uh, he said, he said, I don't see it. I said, he's there. And then all of a sudden, I said, the deer's up. And he did the same thing. I said, don't move. He's starting to feed. Don't move. It took like 20 minutes. And then I said, you should see him now. And then all of a sudden, I seen the guy pull the bow back, schwack, and hit him. And But if he'd have got excited and took a couple steps, and we'd have blown it. Yeah. No, you have to have full confidence for sure. Um, let's. Let's take a time out for just a second, and while this is going on, we're talking about mainly hunting coos deer, but one of the things for the listeners out there, I get messages a lot, they don't realize that, that it's any deer. You can hunt coos deer or mule deer. Talk a little bit about some of these areas, Dwayne. Um, I know you hunt a lot in southern Arizona, but talk about areas that have mixed coos deer and mule deer and the fact that you can be chasing a nice desert muley or a coos deer in the same day well 33 is has got it 30 32 
has got it. Uh, 37B is just now, uh, they've opened it up to mule deer and coos deer, and there's, we're seeing more and more coos deer uh, all the time in 37B. And in all the, thir- thir- the 34, 36, and 36A, all those units are mixed down there. So you can glass a, a 180 mule deer and turn to your right and see a 100-inch coos deer at the same time. So all the, all the southern zones uh, make it a lot of fun. You can chase big mule deer and, and big coos deer any second. And talk a little bit about the rut coinciding, the mule deer rut. Are they, uh, the, the mule deer and the coos deer down there, are they rutting exactly the same time? Or talk about the, maybe the little slight difference of, of timing of the mule deer and the coos. The mule deer generally rut earlier uh, by about a week. If it, it, what I've noticed is that the, the desert mule deer are chasing a little bit earlier than, than the coos deer, but I, they have a tendency, I, I think, to rut longer. And what I mean I by so that, too. well, I think it is because that some of the deer that, that are traveling 20 miles, Jay, and, and, and 25 miles uh, to, to, to get doe, so that you know, it's not like coos deer where there's pockets and pockets of, of deer, so... I, I've seen them chasing in February in pig season, still not just following the does and still trying to breed them. So uh, I think they 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 run a lot longer uh, because it's less deer than there is uh, for coos deer. You mentioned something there. You mentioned javelina, and I know a lot of people want me to talk a little bit about javelina. You've probably been around more javelina than you'd like to admit. Um, but they're a phenomenal animal that you can get a lot of, you can draw, and, and there's even some over-the-counter opportunities and, and such, and, you know, they run hunts in January and February. Um, but talk about the javelina. You've been around them and hunted them your whole life. Um, for those maybe out there that aren't as familiar, talk about them. I think that that's the, the ready-made bow hunt for any kid, elderly person, young lady, I think that's the first animal they ought to chase because you can make a lot of mistakes and you don't got to judge horns. And I tell people that all the time. <laughs> and you can shoot a, a, a nice pig and, and you get a lot of experience on stocking. That, that's what I really try to tell young guys that come by here and, and talk to me. I say, stock them pigs. If you make a lot of mistakes, you won't make those mistakes when you, st- you start stocking deer. And uh, you I, I tell most people, for every shot that you're going to get with a with a, with a bow at a deer, that's about 15 stocks per shot. And they say, "Is that right, Mr. Adams?" I said, "Well, you, that's what it is for me." Until I started using the radios and all the stuff that I do, but if until you start learning the stock, so you're probably going to get a couple shots the whole season. Is what you're probably going to get. So the best thing to do is learn how to stock, and and most people don't know how to stock. I, I, I mean, it, it took me years to figure out all the mistakes. You know, they move too fast when they should move slow, and they move too slow when they should move fast. And and it's really that important. When when I tell these guys, run, get over there, get over there, go as fast as you can. So I see them lollygagging. and I tell them on the radio, I said, get over there, keep going. I'll tell you when you need to rest, and this ain't the time to rest. Yeah, specifically on these um, javelina, what, if you were specifically targeting javelina, what are some of the things that you're looking for out there on the hillsides 
um, or the terrain or vegetation or what what are you looking for for prime javelina country? Prickly pear. That's that's about sixty percent of their food. They eat it year round, and they love prickly pear cactus. And there's a bunch of other little cactuses out there that they like too, like a hedgehog. That's that's a different cactus, and and they like those shin daggers, that little ball that, that the shin daggers are in. But uh, those three foods right there, if you if you don't have them, you're pretty tough to find pigs. They love they love all three of those. Talk so about that's, that's um, what I'm looking for. One thing I like about pigs too is it's, I mean, literally you can glass pigs up during the middle of the day. They don't necessarily like bed down unless it's really, really hot. I mean, it seems like they're always out on an open hillside, prickly pear hillside, ocotillo hillside. It seems like they're always out there feeding and rooting around. It's a pretty target-rich environment, and it's a great hunt, I think. That's exactly right. Like I said, it, uh, I have a gentleman coming this this year that's going to hunt with us, and uh, uh, he's going to hunt the, the deer with his, with his uh, compound, and he's going to hunt javelina with his recurve. And I said, I said, yeah. He said, is that is that possible? I said, sure, it's possible. I said, all day. I said, you can leave your recurve there and go and go chase the bucks. And then if we see a javelina, just leave that and take it over and go over. And I've had that happen probably twenty, thirty times in my career with clients. And uh, and actually, they all kill pigs. So it, it make they miss two or three different batches but you're right in the middle of the day you can always find a herd of pigs i'll tell you something else uh jay that uh your listeners might want i find probably 50 percent of the pigs by sound and not by glassing and when they're fighting for they fight jay you can hear them go and that they'll do it just like that and i'll tell the guys there's pigs over there somewhere and you span over there listen and Whatever they're fighting over, but they'll they they'll fight and they'll do it two or three times before whichever one whips the other one, and and that's how I find a lot of pigs. You can hear them fighting. Yeah, I I can't tell you how many times you just sitting there glassing and you're looking for deer and you hear that. I mean, it's you hear it every day almost if you're in pretty good habitat. You can hear them from a long ways away. So that's right. I would agree. I would agree with that. So it's, it's a neat animal to hunt. You know, the other thing that's open a lot of times is the quail season. How is the quail crop, uh, the hatch out there, you know, what are you seeing out there for birds? Is it a good year? Horrible, Jay. I've turned all my clients away. Uh, and, and the reason, because they're all my good friends. They've hunted with me for 25 to 35 years. And, I, and you know, so I, 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 just, they, they did not have a very good hatch. The scales, the gambles had a very poor and the Mern's quail as well. I, we were hunting down in down south, and we seen one cubby of Mern's quail in two seasons, two two different coos deer seasons, and and there were eight birds in it. So, and I told Nick, my son-in-law, I said, "Look, there's no birds." And I've got a great friend that's a, a really good uh, uh, Mern's quail hunter, and he has not shot a bird this year. Uh, and it's, he, the birds that he's got up has been three or four or six, and he's just pulled his dog off and didn't shoot. So it's it, the quail season is very poor, and I hate that because I love shooting quail. Do you think it has to do with you know some of the drought we had and the rains did they they came hard and they came good, but they didn't come till late, and so there was no cover and the predation and and what have you just just 
what it just hasn't been a good situation the last few years? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, there's seven different types of cat claw, and they all come off of different different types the way God designed them. And in his, in his sand washes, you just got that cat claw that grows real tall and has a long seed like a green bean, and there's not any. And, and there's not any, you can see that where they fall on the ground, and there's no cat claw. And all the other cat claws that are different, I, I, I notice that stuff, there's not any cat claw seed. So I, I don't think there was enough food and water, both combination. And they didn't have a great prickly pear. I mean, they did have some prickly pear, but you could go a mile and not see prickly pears, and then, you know, it, it, and then get into a batch where there was some. So... It was spotty food, I think, it all the way around. And we went almost nine months, Jay, before we got any rain. Yeah, it was just so dry, yeah. and Yeah, and they just didn't have any place to hide their eggs either. That's right. Well, uh, Dwayne, another awesome podcast. I just want to give you a chance, uh, if you have anything to add for December 2 deer hunters or January deer hunters, from no, a not, tactical not really. or, or strategy standpoint, or if you have any openings or any, anything no, you we're want booked to tell up, them. Jay. I'm booked up in, okay. until yeah. next January. If uh, anybody would like to hunt in January archery with us, give us a call. But we're booked up this year, and thank God. But uh, I think it went. You, the questions you ask, I think, are, were very helpful. I, I wish Jay, and I tell people this all the time. I wish there was a Jay Scott and a Dwayne Adams. When I was growing up, everything I had to, to learn on myself, I learned that there was no literature, there was no podcast. And I tell people, listen to these guys, listen to what they say. I said, because they've made all the mistakes. And so if you just learn one thing off of Jay's podcast, one thing, it's worth listening to. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, you've written a great book on Tuesday hunting uh, in Arizona and um, is that still for sale on your website? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's on my website, Arizona Big Game Hunting, or you can call me at 520-385-4995, Dwayne Adams. It would, it's, it's a great Christmas gift. I, my wife and I sell a lot of them, and I mean, and I, if they give me their name, I'll be glad to autograph it for them, but... Uh, it it's a, it it has over 200 pictures in, in there of of coos deer so you get to see all kinds of different bucks and uh different tactics of how to do it i think it's a great book and and uh especially for the beginner and then there's stuff in there for guides as well oh it's a phenomenal book it absolutely is um Dwayne, well i hope you have a great hunt with your hunters coming in after christmas and then the raffle tag holder you hunting mid-January. I hope you guys shoot a monster. Send me a picture, and I'll be headed off to Mexico, and um, I always love talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, share with us, and uh, God bless you, okay? God bless you, Jay, and God bless America. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye.